I spent through many iterations, a lot of development, a lot of testing. I mean, developing a spacesuit is a very, very difficult task, and it's very difficult to test and to validate. I'm Michael Gloucester, and this is Fashion Cast. We're talking to fashion leaders and disruptors as we seek inspirational stories and expert insight into the world's most dynamic industry. Heard in over 70 countries, we're building an international fashion community based on fashion topics that matter. Please visit our website, fashioncast.co, to join our email list and learn more. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode of FashionCast, we welcome Dr. Lucy Dunn, Professor of Apparel Design and Wearable Technology at the University of Minnesota. She has co-authored Functional Apparel Design, From Sportwear to Spacesuits, has published a plethora of articles about wearable technology, smart clothing, and sustainable clothing, and has been recognized as a leading expert in the field through various honors, including the National Science Foundation Career Award and the NASA Silver Achievement Award. Dr. Dunn holds multiple degrees, including a BS in textiles and apparel, an AAS in electronic technology, a master's in apparel design, and a PhD in computer science. Dr. Dunn is joining FashionCast from Minneapolis, Minnesota via Zoom. Welcome to FashionCast, Dr. Dunn. Hi, it's great to be here. You know, I was looking over your resume and given just the length of, you know, your CV, you've been at this a very, very long time. I'm just curious how you got into this whole area of wearable technology and smart clothing and how it relates to fashion and so forth. Could you explain just a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I can give you the sort of abbreviated version. Um, When I went to college, I wanted to go into costume design. I was really into theater in high school and I I got into costuming and fell in love with it. And so I I went to school for apparel with the intent to focus on costumes, discovered very quickly that I did not like that at all. (laughs) Um, Mostly the interpersonal stuff and dealing with actors. (laughs) I wasn't very good at that. Um, so I, you know, I tried a few different things very early on in my college career. I tried, um, fashion and I tried entrepreneurship, um, and a few different things, you know, here and there trying to figure out where my, my place was. And then I was lucky enough to have, um, taken a course in functional clothing design, which is, was pretty rare at the time and still is pretty rare. Um, And that really resonated for me. I got really excited about the kind of engineering side of clothing. Um, And so I started digging more deeply into that, did an internship in the military. And then um, it was, I guess it was well-timed. It was the the beginning of the first wave of of wearable technology. And um, that really resonated for me. You know, I was interested in trying to make clothing work and to make clothing do things. And electronics just seemed like a very natural way to make that more dynamic, more capable. So I got very into wearables right at the end of my undergrad. And then I continued and did um, a master's degree and um, an associate's degree to pick up the various fields that I needed to inform, you know, the development of wearable technology and then went on to my PhD. And here I am. I never thought I'd be a researcher, but it's a very good fit for me. (laughs) Yeah, this is the cool 
other universe of fashion where it's, as you mentioned, it's kind of the engineering of the apparel and the textiles and the clothing, which, you know, the average person's not paying attention to. They're just looking at it from an aesthetic standpoint, but there's so much that goes into it. So I'm really happy you explained all that. Yeah. What is the genesis of smart clothing? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so, I mean, it, well, if we take smart clothing specifically, I would say there's probably two major motivators. I think I would, I would sort of separate the field into motivators. Um, folks that are interested in taking the capabilities of computing devices like smartphones and you know desktop computers and IoT devices and making that ultra mobile so making making it able to come with you and be with you in a kind of ambient pervasive way all the time in all of the contexts that you're in so that's sort of an information and communications kind of focus and then the the other side of it is the idea of of clothing as kind of a portable environment you know as a as a mediator of of your physical body and emotional self and and things like that um so that kind of takes clothing in a little bit more of the more traditional sense like you know in the expressive sense and in the protective sense and then introduces technology to make those functions more capable um, so I, I would say there's a lot of different, you know, ways people come to it. Um, I think maybe you could bo- boil it down to, you know, whatever your motivation was before you decided to do it in clothing, it's trying to do that better. So do communications better, do expression better, do production better um, through that wearable form. So do you think this, in terms of the quote-unquote genesis of, and we'll get to these definitions here momentarily, but what's a good you know, area to say, is it 2005, 2007, 2000? How long have we been dealing with this or thinking about this in a, in a serious way? That's a good question. I've got, um, I've got some fun, you know, anecdotes from the history of wearables. Um, If we want to focus on clothing forms and not sort of, you know, other wearable forms, um, one of the earliest designers I know is a woman named Diana Dew. Um, And she is a really interesting character. (laughs) She was kind of like an, she was a small town girl that went to the city to like make it (laughs) to New York City Um, and did. (laughs) And she she became sort of this like it girl in the like art scene in the 60s. And it, like she's written up in the New Yorker. There's a little like blurb in the like about town happenings about like, you know, her her appearances at parties and things like that. Um, and, but she was also this sort of wildly creative artist. Um, and there's only a little bit of her work that I've been able to find. Um, the American Craft Council did an exhibition in the, I want to say maybe 80s, something, 90s. And, and they pulled together all the these um, examples of, of avant-garde clothing futures. And some of her work is in there. And th- I mean, her, she's working in the in the mid '60s, and she like one of her pieces is this this motorcycle jacket that has turn signals and you know, oh, that's um, cool. Oh wow! And like yeah, that. my, my but, husband and, would love that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's still a, it's still an application people are developing today, but she's doing it with like incandescent light bulbs, you know, uh. like, like it's really hard to do. And it's a beautiful jacket, really well executed. Um, there's another example of a, like a heated and knitted um, heater, like a heating textile, which is still the same way that we do it today. And it's still considered cutting edge today. Um, you know, and these things are happening in the 60s. Um, so, yeah, I have wow, I've tried she's really ahead of her like, time then. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know much else about her. I tried periodically to find her. I'm going to look her up too. <laughs> yeah, to figure out what happened to her. And, and there's like nothing out there. Oh. Um, I were able to really hunt her down. But like this little example of like wonderful, wow. very forward work very early on. Yeah, so she had a lot of great ideas. Yeah, so she's the, I would have to say, based on this conversation. She's the pioneer. Yeah, that's even, but I was going to say, yeah, that's even a better word. I was going to say the mother of yeah, smart, wearable clothing, Diana Du. So how do you spell the last name? It's not how it sounds, is it? It's probably spelled. It is, yeah, D-E-W, yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's something, wow. See, here we go down the rabbit hole. So this is something, yeah, wouldn't like the FIT Museum really be interested? Have they done any exhibits on wearable clothing? Oh, boy. You got to get Dr. Steele on the line. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, yeah, they could do an exhibit for, uh, that would be really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Okay. Do you know Dr. Steele? Not personally. We may have intersected at some point, but. Yeah. Well, gosh, I'm going to have to definitely push the needle. Okay. So here's the conundrum, you know, that I have. I'm looking at, and I know there's even more definitions, so. I think you intimated this in the beginning. So there's this wearable clothing, which means what, versus smart clothing, which means what, versus smart whatever, wear, fashion. There's there's all these different, you know, definitions attached to either smart or wearable. And wearable to me means, you know, could it be a watch? Could it be all these other technologies? Vis-a-vis smart clothing and, and apparel, what does that mean? So in terms of you, you know, teaching your classes how are you defining these terms well um as a that's a big big area <laughs> um and i would probably take the most liberal interpretation so i mean this is where we get into conversations about like what does wearable mean what is clothing? <laughs> <laughs> um, which are all interesting things to think about what is technology um I would I would say the so the the technology part of it I would interpret very liberally. Um and so everything you're wearing is a piece of wearable technology. You know, fabric is a technology, it's doing something mm-hmm. for a purpose. Um so all, all clothing involves some amount of technology. You can kind of separate clothing into like ready to wear or or clothing that I would think of as primarily expressive, you know, for we wear it for the way that it looks and because there are social expectations to wear clothing. Um, and then functional clothing, which is you know designed more primarily for what it does and you know what it provides the wearer. Um, and then you can introduce electronics into that and that becomes smart clothing, but it's still in a garment form. And then wearable technology outside of smart clothing um, doesn't necessarily have to be a garment form. So wristbands and um, watches and uh, eyewear and accessories, pods that you clip on or or paste onto the body. Uh, So all of those other sort of non-garment forms. Yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, I appreciate that. Are there specific textiles that are better suited for smart clothing? Well, smart clothing is clothing. So... You know, the the question of textile selection 
translates. Um, you know, we, the way that we select a textile for clothing also applies to smart clothing. So things like how it looks and if it stretches and how, how thick it is, how, you know, what kind of thermal insulation it provides, um, all, of, all of the above is very relevant to a smart garment. Um, if you're thinking about the e-textile side of it, so textiles that have electronics integrated into the textile itself versus to the surface, um, then you need to think about conductive materials. <laughs> so there, you know, it, it should be conductive in some way, uh, or at least you should be able to apply a conductive pathway to create a circuit. Um, we use a lot of um, blended fibers, so um, or, or multi-component fibers, like a, a let's say it has a nylon core and then a silver coating around it or a metallic coating um, to create that that conductive property while also keeping the mechanical properties of nylon. Um, if you're so then then you get into questions of uh, conductivity versus insulation. Like do, do you, where do you need to stop electricity from flowing and where do you need to allow it to flow? Um, and you get into questions of manufacturing and assembly. So how how is this circuit going to be connected? How are components going to be connected to the conductive elements and things like that? Um, so like, for instance, we work a lot with um, soldered textiles where you're attaching components through soldering. And that is a um, that's a high temperature process. So you can't use a nylon core fiber, for instance, because the nylon part will disintegrate. So you need something much more stable like the Vectran. So once you introduce the technology piece, it sounds like you need to be a a chemist is that basically <laughs> it. I need to an take engineer. some, chem yeah, an engineer, an engineer chemist. chemist. It's really interesting though. So it's not your traditional, I'm going to go to fashion school, become a designer. And then when I get there, I kind of like this wearable smart clothing kind of, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the kind of background and knowledge that you'd have to have. Of course, Dr. Dunn has it because you've been doing it for, for a while. <laughs> yes and no. I think it, it, I started at the very wild west beginning of, of wearables. So, I mean, at, at that time, you kind of had to do it yourself or talk somebody into helping you and they didn't understand what you're trying to do. <laughs> right. So, you know, there, I mean, and I do think as a researcher, it really helps to have that kind of disciplinary fluidity. Um, as a professional, though, I mean, the, the field is much more mature now. And I I see many more folks getting into the field through their specialty. So, you know, they went to, you know, RISD and they're, they're, you know, working in functional clothing and learning on the job. Um, I think as we mature further, that specialty will, will also mature. So it, there will be more and more expectations that you actually studied this because there's more and more opportunities to actually do that. Um, but it's still pretty rare. I mean, labs like mine are, are not that common. So it's much more common that folks would have a, a you know more traditional apparel background, and they'd be hired as the soft goods person on the engineering team, um, and they'd be sort of learning as they go. Um, and the team would be mostly electronic engineers, mechanical engineers, maybe some material scientists. Yeah, I was shocked to see that you had this curriculum available, and. So the Rhode Island School of Design, RISD, so what do they have that's different than what you have? Well, actually, I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> an example of like an art school, yeah. you know, where, where you wouldn't be doing a liberal arts curriculum where you might have to take physics or whatever. Yeah, and you can incorporate that. That's cool. So let's just talk a little bit about the technology itself, you know, in terms of obviously the chips have evolved, you know, so 
maybe you can explain just a little about about the chip technology and how thin these are, these wafers, where are they placed on the clothing typically? Um, you know, what's the cost involved in all of this? Does it, you know, incrementally in, in, increase the cost of the apparel or the item, uh, or is it dramatically increased, that kind of thing, in terms of just the technology that's used and the cost to do it and, and how it's manufactured? Um, so there's a lot of questions packed in there, but generally that's what i'm looking at is the chip technology yeah so we i mean i guess there's a lot of layers that you could look at that um question or you know a lot of different ways you could approach that wearable technology takes all kinds of different forms from you know the scale where the the fiber itself is an electronic component you know where you're actually extruding semiconductors or placing them within a fibrous structure and like you've got a yarn that actually has transistors or diodes in it um up to like fabric level technology where you're weaving or knitting a circuit into a fabric structure and maybe maybe you're weaving in like a, a long flexible um, circuit board, like a, a flex circuit that that just takes the place of one of those yarns. Um, and then you're making interconnects to that strip um, within the fabric. Um, more commonly, we're talking about integrating the, the interconnects, the, the, con the conductive pieces, the wires and, and leads and traces on a circuit board. We're, we're integrating those into the textile and then we're attaching electronics, like either co discrete components or, you know, printed circuit boards to those connections. Um, and then at the, the highest level, you're literally just fabricating a circuit and then you're just like gluing it onto the fabric. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's a lot of innovation happening in like the, the fiber science side of things, like where folks are developing components that are in fiber form. Um, in the on the commercial industry, there's much more of just gluing circuits onto clothes. So in that sense, they're not developing the electronic technology. That I mean, the electronics industry is very very mature, <laughs> um, and I don't want to say it's easy, but I mean it's it's very feasible. The, the bigger problems are not not in the circuit itself; they're in the integration of that rigid or electronic component and the textile component, and the scalability of manufacturing that, and durability, and and those kind of challenges. So um, there's there's a lot of answers. <laughs> um, you know, you you could could be anything from you know that fiber form transistor all the way up to you know the ready made. PCB that you you laminate on. Um, and in my lab, we work on techniques that I guess one of my motivators is is being able to transition the domestic cut and sew industry towards something more advanced, the the remnants of the domestic cut and sew industry. Yeah, the remnants. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, or even globally, the cut and sew industry. I'll take, um, you know, being able to sort of chart a path for our future of, of manufacturing clothing. Uh, so I'm, I'm very interested in being able to leverage cut and sew technologies versus trying to get prefab electronics glued onto textiles. So the, the approach that we've developed um, uses stitched uh, traces. So, so we basically lay conductive yarns by stitching onto like textile surfaces. So it literally you could use whatever textile you can sew. Um, and then we attach off the shelf components directly to those traces through soldering processes that actually happen with, with irons. So like the whole circuit can be fabricated with sewing machines and irons. Um, 
the the advantage to that is that you know it works a little bit better with our product development processes that exist now like you develop it the same way you develop any other garment um and you don't have to you know be passing pieces between different factories that can do different things um but uh and it also means that you can you can sort of lay that that circuit onto um garment pieces in a in a very different way you don't have to engineer the entire textile before you start making the garment like you can buy any textile and and stitch on top of it um the, the i guess the important distinction is that sometimes people when people hear smart clothing they think like or e-textile specifically they think that we're like trying to make like a textile motherboard um and right. no, nobody wants that right. <laughs> like that, that doesn't that doesn't help anybody it doesn't it's a bad motherboard it's a bad textile like why would we do that um yeah you know, electronics are so so small now it's it's not really about size anymore when i started that was not the, the problem. I mean, when I started, it was like a feat to even get the computer onto your body. Like you, you had to like wear this giant tower of a computer. Um, now we have smartphones. So, you know, we don't need all that processing to be textile. You, you've got a processing device with you. So it's more about, um, you know, the, 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 the electronics that you need to integrate into the garment and need to distribute into the textile are the things that are sort of spatially positioned. So they need to be near a specific body part. They need to be visible by your eyes or that they, they need to be um, to create a display, you know, be like like a grid or something like that um so really you're talking about like things like sensors and actuators you know things that are sensing something or or making a change um everything else power processing networking it's, it doesn't make sense for that to be distributed it makes sense for that to be localized and maybe removable um so that component you're manufacturing just like you would manufacture any other piece of electronics it's the rest that's really hard <laughs> Like the, the manufacturing electronics is, is you know, we know how to do that, but nobody knows how to manufacture the part that has to be in the clothing. Yeah, that's amazing. Just the efficiency and the innovation and then the growth. I think you ex essentially explained exactly what's happening. And, you know, I think that leads to this whole other area of growth. Yeah, they say the revenue for smart clothing globally is approximately $5.3 billion. So regarding the fashion industry, what specific areas do you believe will generate long-term growth? Oof, um, for the fashion industry? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, most of the clothing growth is not in what I would call fashion. You know, mm. it's in, in athletic clothing and, and sports and medical and wellness. Um, but I do think there's potential. Honestly, I, I really do. Um, I mean, if we want to talk like far future, <laughs> um, Maybe not so far. <laughs> I've seen, no, I see some fashion shows that are <laughs> shocking now. They're not practical. Is it not practical? They're not practical. No. But they're still very artsy. Not so much into technology. The art side is definitely there. And I think technology is so exciting for art and for, you know, what, what we could do with aesthetics and things like that. But for the everyday user, like for mass market growth, um, the, the thing that I think is most commonly overlooked in, in the whole field of smart clothing development is like the primary reason that we wear clothes, <laughs> which is because of how they look. Nobody thinks about enabling that in smart clothing. Like we think about enabling you to know your pulse rate and, <laughs> you know, to receive text messages. Maybe the medical or, field. <laughs> yeah, be heated up or something like that. But we don't think about like, well, I'm wearing this shirt today because it's blue. <laughs> and yesterday I wore the same shirt, but it was white. Like 
you know, there's a whole there's a whole s- section of the population that wears basically the same shirt every day, but it has stripes one day and no stripes the next day. <laughs> um, you know, and like that that is the functionality that they are buying out of a shirt, right? Um, and it's it's definitely not impossible that we couldn't do that with technology. Um, and I think there are huge upsides to doing that. You know, you, do, you don't have to own 20 shirts anymore. You own one shirt and it does all the shirts and it cleans itself and it, you know, receives text messages, whatever all else you wanted to do. I think one of the things we learned from the transition to smartphones is that, you know, devices have this ability to bring versatility um, and multifunctionality. But there's this problem of, um, you know, with, with the ubiquitous computing or IoT field they they used to say that the problem with ubiquitous computing was that there was no killer app like there's no one application that everybody wanted it was a killer lifestyle like once you got all the things everything was better but you had to get to the point where you had all this enabling technology and so like with smartphones i think you can really see that like some of the things that your phone does like you would never have bought a special device just for that app But because you can have it on this multifunctional device, it makes a whole lot of sense. I think the same thing is true for clothing. Like if we can get to a platform where, you know, it's a it's a really, 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 really good garment that does all these things and can be all these things. That's a really powerful vision. Um, the the challenge is like the, the functions, like the core function that you need out of clothing, looking different every day and being clean. Those are really hard to do. <laughs> and so people, you know, to go away from it because it's too hard. Like, you know, it's not something the industry is going to take on. Um, and even research is is struggling. Um, but, you know, in the, a future vision where you have like your your one or two garments and they change shape and they change color and, the, you know, they clean themselves like this is a really exciting way to think of clothing. Just not profitable. Well, no, it is. And it's a service model. It's the same True. as your cell phone. True. Like you pay for oh, service. you pay for the uh, yeah. service. I see. Yeah. I see. So if you're saying, look, for now, casual fashion, fast fashion, any type of fashion wear is kind of put to the side, it's not necessarily practical. So what areas are adaptable to either smart clothing, wearable technology? Is it athletics? Is it, you know, healthcare? Is it the military? Is it, you know, monitoring my baby? You know, what what is out there that you see that has the most growth potential in this particular area? Well, I mean, a lot of that comes down to funding and investment models. Um, you know, to be totally honest, the the fashion and apparel industry is like night and day from every other technology industry. <laughs> Um, they don't like, they don't know what research means. Most of like the ready wear industry, they think it means like doing consumer research. Like they don't have any model for understanding what long-term research investment might be or why it might be. So, and they're not knocking on your door and saying, Hey, Dr. Dunn, we don't know what the hell we're doing, but we're interested. Can you help us? Or can can we buy research or can we, you know, what model should we approach? How, how should we go about this? You don't really see anyone from the fashion. It sounds like it coming to you. 
Well, they don't, um, they don't have the funds. <laughs> I mean, it, it, what I mean is like, you know, it's a very low margin industry and um, that's not where they invest. So something like, you know, the, the tech industry, they're, they all have research arms. They all understand that like, you, you know, they have to be in, inventing the next thing and it's going to take a while. And they understand what where academia fits into that and where government funding fits into that. Um, apparel really has not made that leap. Um, with the exception of so, so a few sectors so so the more functionally oriented sectors you know um outdoor gear athletic gear um military healthcare they tend to have structures that support research better because they need to and because their business model is not the same it's not as low margin as as like fast fashion would be <laughs> Um, so play and also places that do material development. So like WL Gore um, or like Kimberly Clark, even they, they do like disposable products, but um, you know, where they have like this material science focus, um, they also understand science and research in, in a way that ready to wear really doesn't. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't think any the, the conversations I've had with more sort of fashiony folks are usually more like oh we want to do this like smart clothing product and I'm like, hey let me tell you how it's going to be hard and they're like oh it's going to be hard yeah <laughs> you know much more difficult i'm sure okay well we are going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and finish hi i'm christine you may know me as co-host of fashion cast but i'm also the founder and ceo of omay organics i believe skincare should be simple our hyaluronic cream is all you need to nourish your skin morning and night. Sourced from the highest quality organic ingredients from around the world and manufactured in an FDA facility right here in the USA, this incredible cream works to firm, deeply moisturize, and smooth the appearance of your skin. Please visit omeorganics.com and use promo code FASHIONCAST to receive a 15% discount off your first purchase and you will receive our monthly newsletter free. Now, back to the show. What apparel brands lead in the design and sale of smart clothing? I think it, most of the growth is is in um, you know sports and health and wellness. Um, so the Nikes of the world and Adidas and, and companies like that. Um, and, and Adidas and Nike both invested pretty early on and in, in, in some of the early development of wearables. And they, they both would have sort of that research lab internally that that can support some of the development and they they also do um university collaborations in a different way um adidas has like the european model which is a, a little bit even easier for um industry university collaboration yeah i'm not surprised that the athletic piece of this would kind of take off it's not just in their shoes it's in some of their apparel too is that what you're saying or is it actually in some of the athletic uniforms and stuff yeah uh, in the clothing it also has accessories like wristbands and whatnot and then in, in shoes i think both of them have done all of those so back in 2013 if i'm correct you won the nasa's silver achievement award can you explain just a little bit about that award and what it honors and how you came to be on the radar of nasa basically <laughs> um well so it's a it's a medal that's awarded it can be awarded to um it's a civilian option <laughs> which is important because i'm a civilian <laughs> um 
and it, it, I think it's it's awarded for uh, something like co contribution to their core values, um, interpreted in whatever way the nominator interprets it. Um, so, I, for, in my case, it was it was related to some work I had done with a collaborator at Johnson Space Center, Corey Simon. Um, we had been working together to try to understand. Um, JSC was looking looking at e-textiles and trying to see if it was an area that they wanted to do more work. Um, and Corey was developing like the beginning of, of a sort of wearable technology lab for them. And so we got together and, and had a lot of shared interest. And um, as part of trying to find ways to develop this shared interest, we ended up um, developing this model for university collaboration with NASA centers that worked really well. So um, we started a program where university classes collaborate on, in kind of like a semester long course project with NASA mentors working on specific problems related to wearable technology and functional clothing. Um, and so it started with just my class and um, John Space Center, and then it expanded to a bunch of other universities and then into industry collaborations. And now it's been taken over by the um, Technology Collaboration Center of Houston. Wow. We're still doing it. We're, we're going down in wow. um, two weeks. Two weeks now. <laughs> um, yeah. so every spring, my class, my functional clothing class, travels down to Justice Space Center to, you know, participate in this bigger workshop. So that's um, impressive. So, yeah. yeah. So very, you're still connected in a way, essentially. Yeah, it's something like uh, eleven or twelve years now. It's been a while. <laughs> wow. So did yeah. So Christine mentioned that you know the upcoming moon landing and <laughs> and and the yeah. new spacesuits related to uh -huh. that. So. Do you know what's going on in these new spacesuits? Is it just a functional design, or is there actually some, some, you know, smart clothing or technology involved in these new spacesuits? Well, coming back to our question about what is what is <laughs> technology, I would tell you the spacesuit is one of the more more elaborate form, you know, wearable technology artifacts that exists. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a lot new in the in the new suits. Um, so the XEMU is the the basic design that that a lot of the different variants um, are based on. So the the one that's going to the moon is is a an AXEMU, but it's based on the XEMU design. Um, EMU is extra vehicle extravehicular mobility unit, which is the um, the name for the spacesuit, um, the, the spacesuit, the, the white spacesuit, not the orange spacesuit. That's ACES, the Advanced Cruise, Crew Escape Suit. Um, that's the one that they wear just for launch and entry. It's, um, but anyway, so the, the extravehicular mobility means, you know, you're going out in space on a spacewalk on purpose. <laughs> the ACES, if you're in space, it's not on purpose. <laughs> um, and so they, they've been re redesigning that suit for a very long time. Um, it's been through many iterations. A lot of development, a lot of testing. I mean, developing a spacesuit is a very, very difficult task, and it's very difficult to test and to validate. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot new in it. Um, a lot of the the more significant problems that they've been working on are not necessarily related to what you think about it was like smart clothing or wearable technology. They're more about um, mobility. So, like moving in the spacesuit. It's a, yeah, because I'm sure the material is very thick. Well, it's not even the the, it's, it's the material, but it's also, I mean, it's a pressurized suit. So you're yeah. wearing a balloon um, and it's very difficult to bend a pressurized volume. Oh, oh. So you're basically, I mean, it's hard to describe what it would be like inside the spacesuit, but I think I'm of sure, it as very hot. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Oh, hot and cold, yeah. yeah depending where you are in the on the atmosphere. No, depending on if the sun is on you or not. But, oh, yeah. okay. okay. Negative two fifty Fahrenheit in the shade and positive two fifty in the sun. So it is a huge swing. Um but it, it's more it's more like a wrestling a robot like it's it's very very difficult to move um so a lot of the engineering is about um trying to support movement in this pressurized volume like you, you can't unpressure well actually the the xemu has the ability to do to vary the pressure if you need to like squat down or something like that um but yeah so and so developing the bearings there's a lot more bearings and and um the the joints are repositioned um the it's a rear entry suit instead of the current suit is like top and bottom so you like go in and and put it in that way um the the rear entry suit allows the shoulder bearings to be position differently um so that that's a lot easier for for forward movements and shoulder movements shoulder injury was the most common astronaut injury like rotator really injury. wow that's crazy yeah, they spend hundreds of hours wow. in, the, in the swimming pool wrestling this pressurized suit and it's really rough on the body so it sounds like a lot has changed there's a lot of new technology yeah well, they're protective of the technology because mm -hmm. I think this is pushing a hundred million dollars in terms of, you know, research and years spent on this. So that's why they're extremely protective of the technology. Have you been in a spacesuit, Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> or do you do you wear smart clothing? I've been in a spacesuit glove, a pressurized spacesuit glove, um, and that was enough. <laughs> that's was enough. Yeah, how that's difficult it is. The gloves are just the worst. I mean, it's so hard to do a glove. Very, very hard to do a glove. And they've been working on that since the beginning. Um, but yeah, I haven't. I've not been in a in a full suit or pressurized like in the neutral buoyancy lab. I would love to do that. <laughs> Maybe one day. Do you wear any smart clothing? Oh uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even wear a, a, a smartwatch. I, I don't even. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, it's funny. Like I almost never have. Um, I, a lot of what we work on, like the stuff that I want to wear doesn't exist yet. And so a lot of our research is like trying to make that possible. Um, but I also know a little bit too much about it, you know. So like, you know, I had a I had a baby three years ago, and everyone was asking me, like, "Oh, are you going to use the baby monitors?" And I'm like, and I was like, "Nope, I know way too much." <laughs> what? What is it? <laughs> Tell us your secrets. I study sensor error and things like that. So like, you know, I I I just I, there's there's too much. <laughs> like it's yeah, I would have way too much anxiety about it. It's better for me to just check on the baby myself. <laughs> I wow. couldn't trust it. I wouldn't be able to dress. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I think the little, like they wear the cap, little cap in their, in their crib, and they have the, it monitors their breathing and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So their that's, heart rate and everything. Yeah, There's a lot of technology cool. with that, yeah. So Dr. Lucy Dunn, it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor. We're so happy that you agreed to come on to Fashion Cast. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's been fun talking with you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Fashion Cast. To hear more shows and join our email list, please visit our website, fashioncast.co. You can also join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Until next time, I'm Michael Gloucester for Fashion Cast, the voice of fashion. Fashion Cast.